Smartphones have only been around for a little over a decade, but it's had a huge impact on our day-to-day lives. Today, the average person checks their phone over 80 times a day. That means people are checking their phone every 12 minutes. That constant feeling of having to snap a picture to share with your friends and followers, waiting for the likes to roll in, the depression that comes when you don't get the likes you want, and the anxiety of all those unanswered texts and emails. What impact is all this having on our mental health? Today's guest, Danny Kim, is here to challenge you to unplug. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Danny, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thanks for having me here. So I figured we'd just start with what you do and why you're so passionate about getting people to unplug. Great. Well, um, it all started several years ago when I was working with college students. Um, and I was talking about a little bit of my, my research on smartphone addiction and emotional intelligence. And I will never forget my student looked at me and she said, I don't know how you can unplug. And she kind of had this look on her face where it was like, like, if I don't do something about this, like there's going to be a lot of people that are stuck. And so I think for me, that kind of like was like the personal, like, passion of mine of saying, how can I help people that are feeling trapped by their phones and the kind of impact of technology? When was this and what were you studying? So I'm actually in my doctoral program right now. Uh, I'm studying um, industrial organizational psychology, which is really the understanding of human behavior in the workplace. And um, I was working at a university doing career coaching at the time. Yeah, this is a really passionate topic for me because Mm -hmm. we're a household where we turn the Wi-Fi off at night. Oh, and nice. We live in a condo complex, so mm-hmm. we're getting Wi-Fi beams all Everywhere. around. Phones are like not allowed in bedrooms. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a weird rule. But I like it. Can we start really, you know, the history of digital devices? Mm-hmm. There's this sound that we all remember. Yeah, yeah. I love that sound. It's so funny. I, I I share that sound when I'm speaking sometimes to groups of digital distraction and people like literally laugh out loud. And it's so funny because a lot of people don't even know what that sound is now because um, there's a younger generation. But I ask the audience sometimes like, how many of you would be okay listening to that sound before you had to check your email every single time? Like it's impossible. Like our, Or like Netflix. Like, what if you had to listen to that sound every time you had, like, wanted to stream a show? And actually, it's interesting because that sound might actually keep us from checking our phones. <laughs> Ironically, um, the ease and the speed actually makes it harder for us to just slow down and unplug. I think that's so interesting. My first job out of college was to be the journalist for the Vans Warped Tour. And this was 2002. And I was basically a blogger before it was called blogging. And I had to take 100 photos a day with a Canon Elf and send in two stories. But I had to send in my photos via a slow dial-up connection that was usually being used by the production team. Mm -hmm. And um, every photo took a minute to send. And so I had 100 I was brutal, but like it kept me from sending a lot of emails Mm. because it was so slow. Mm. You're right. Yeah. Like it just wasn't a way of communication. Now, I'm not saying that we should throw it all away. I love technology. Like I love the new iPhones. I love, you know, fast internet. It's a necessity in our world today. It's just a conversation of are we becoming cognizant of when and where? 
I think that's really the question, right? Um, I mean, for a lot of listeners, they're athletes or people who are outdoorsy or whatnot. It's like, do you give yourself a day to rest? Because if you don't, if you don't have a recovery day, you can't keep competing, right? In that same way, it's like, that's the problem with our phones is like, we just never get a break. So many, so many things are going through my head because my mom is an addiction specialist. Mm. Mostly she works in drug and alcohol, but man, all of us, I feel like have some sort of digital addiction. Yeah. You know, there's, there's these questions you ask Mm -hmm. to know if you're addicted to a digital device. What are these questions? Sure. Yeah. And wait, really quickly. I I was figuring like, raise your hand if you listening to this Danny Kim podcast, unless you're driving. Just one hand. Felt a rush of dopamine when someone gives you a like on your Instagram. Okay. So hopefully you're got one hand on the wheel if you're driving but <laughs> and it's real I do because the thing about addiction is it changes and you need more of it um, and I ask this question on a lot of my talks um, it comes from the smartphone addiction inventory there's a lot of assessments that are being created now and researched on and um, one of the questions I ask in from that addiction inventory is my recreational activities are reduced due to smartphone use so that might be I just don't want to go outside because I'm on my phone, right? And that's a big one. You know, you start creating excuses because you'd ra- you get the entertainment that you need because you're inside. Or maybe you're watching a YouTube video of someone surfing and they're like, ah, oh, that's good enough that I've done my physical exercise for the day. The other one is because of my smartphone, my sleep quality and total sleep time has decreased. So listening, ask yourself this question. Yeah, that one's tough for me too because I when I'm traveling, I'm on my phone late at night checking emails and then I just stay up because my adrenaline's rushing, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, pretty much all the studies say do not check your phone at least an hour before bedtime. Also because of just the the light, the blue light. Yeah, the blue light, right. And and, and because neurologically and psych- psychologically, you're like ramped up, you know, because you're thinking and you're engaging, your mind is turning and rather than shutting down, it's turning back on. Mm. The other one, a question I ask is, I feel restless and irritable when my smartphone is unavailable. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're looking for your phone right now. Uh, No, uh, (laughs) maybe that's, that's a hard one, right? Because it's like, we need it at times. And the research shows that there's two things that are happening with our smartphones. One is I'm just naturally addicted to it. Like I just have a compulsive reaction to check whatever that is because I've just, it's become a habit or I'm restless because I'm afraid of what I'm missing out on. Like, oh, my kid needs to call me or my boss is trying to get a hold of me, you know, putting my phone on do not disturb and putting it in the drawer when I'm working can cause a lot of anxiety. I remember uh, before I had my smartphone, you know, there was like pagers or whatever, but before that even, I would tell my mom I'd be home before dark and that was enough. And now it's like, if you don't text me back right away, something is wrong. You know, I had that experience with my wife the other day where she was like in a meeting or something and I was texting her for like, what does she want for dinner? And then she went, the meeting went longer and I kept texting her and being like, is everything okay? Like it's seven o'clock now, like eight o'clock now, like what am I going to do? And where is she at? What if something happened to her? And it's like, she was at a meeting, like it's not a big deal, you know? I totally turn into a psychopath if Johnny doesn't yeah. <laughs> respond to my text. It's it, interesting. It is interesting. And I think people listening probably have, have had that experience too. If someone doesn't answer, is something wrong? Yeah. Sometimes I feel just massive anxiety when I'm in a moment, like watching the sunset 
and I don't have my phone with mm. me because I haven't been able to capture it. But then that's just an approval thing because then I want to show other people. Yeah. Sometimes I want it for myself. And well, maybe we should just take a step back. Yeah. You know, maybe you can share some insights into the history of our digital addiction. Yeah. Um, so digital di addiction is nothing new necessarily other than the fact that there's this new platform for addiction. Um, researchers suggest that digital addiction is very similar to behavioral addiction, which is similar to like shopping, gambling, um, these kinds of things, right? Something that you do and then you receive a reward. So the science shows that when you post a picture on Instagram and then you get a like, that is actually shaping your behavior because it's releasing dopamine in your brain and you're going, wow, I feel good. Like this feels really good. Or even to the effect of like when I delete an email, like that makes me feel good. And so what happens, the way addiction is formed is that we start doing these things, whether in any context where um, you're sitting in your room late at night and you're just tired, you post a photo and you wait for your friends to comment on it. All of a sudden you're getting these releases of dopamine and it's reinforcing behavior on um, how you feel about yourself and self-esteem and all of these things. And so that's how addiction begins to happen. And the, the challenging thing is like, people don't know that they're addicted to it. So how do we know if, depending on how we answered those questions, yeah. how do we know if we're addicted? Oh man, that's a great question. Well, I'm not a psychologist in that sense or a psychiatrist. So if you really think it's a problem, I think you should see a counselor. Um, <laughs> but really, it's a, it's, a, it's a growing field in that, right? There's more, more and more research that's being done for that kind of addiction, uh, whatnot. But um, I think that part of it will be doing self-evaluation and a self-reflection on, can I not be with my phone for a couple hours a day? Or can I take a day off and just saying, I'm going to commit today to not being on my phone or not checking social media even? Because um, sometimes we need our phones. We need our phones to communicate, whatnot, or maps or to take photos. But can I just be disconnected for a moment? And if you're having a hard time doing that, there's a good chance that you're moving towards the addiction. Danny told me this fascinating story of just how far digital addiction can go. I'm sure you've heard about being addicted to social media and the negative effects it can have. We all know the saying, comparison is the biggest thief of joy, but it's not just social media that can have a negative impact. So in 2013, a Vietnamese video gamer, um, he released a game called Flappy Birds. And originally when it was released, the reviewers thought it was too difficult to play and it was too similar to like Nintendo Super Mario Brothers. Uh, but in 2014, just a few months later, um, everything changed. And what happened overnight is Flappy Birds began to get thousands of downloads. And um, in just a month, it was making $50,000 a day. But what happened was uh, within the month, the developer began to be really torn because the reviews came like this. One person said, it ruined my life. Its side effects are worse than cocaine and meth. Talking about addiction. Another one says, the apocalypse, my life is over. Um, and another one says, Flappy Bird will be the death of me. Let me start by saying, do not download Flappy Bird. And in February of 2014, a month after all those reviews started coming in, 
um, the developer tweeted out saying, I am sorry, Flappy Bird users. 22 hours from now, I will take down Flappy Bird. I cannot take this anymore. I think that's an interesting moment because there comes to a place in like technology where we're no longer doing a service for people and our technology actually can become harmful. Now, if the developer just wanted to make a quick buck, he would have just kept it up because he was making 50K a day, right? But he realized these side effects and the addictive nature and also the the fact that he might be ruining somebody's life. And I think that's like a really courageous move for the developer to say, I'm going to take this down because it's not worth what I'm making off of it. Have you ever played Flappy Bird? Did you ever play it? I have played Flappy Bird. Yeah, I remember it. It's like you just push a button and it moves and you just have to survive. But I think it becomes so addictive because of just those rewards that you get. You know, like when you get that, you know, the the flash across the screen or the next level up, that's why it becomes so addictive. These kinds of things, like there's this neuroscience behind it and it makes us feel good when I'm having a bad day or like, let's say I finish a project and I feel like I need to reward myself. I'll go on social media or play a video game and it's like, makes me feel good. Or maybe I had a really bad day and now I'm like, I gotta go film, pick myself up and I'm gonna go to Amazon and buy some things. You know, and and it'll make me feel good because then tomorrow I'll get like a new iPad or something. So interesting, our psychology, but we're just literally not aware of it most of the time. I have a friend and I don't know if this is statistically proven, Mm -hmm. but when she's having a bad day, her selfie game goes Mm -hmm. up Up the roof, especially (laughs) and it's it's on social media. So you see her posting selfies in a bikini on Instagram. And I've just talked to her and I know she feels like crap. Mm. That's an interesting piece because it's really about self-esteem and we go onto social media to validate ourselves at times and it's difficult it's a really difficult piece and and i think we need to really begin to become more conscious of that we're all aware we're on our phones too much but knowing how to get off our phones can be challenging when we come back danny shares tips about how to get off your own phones and devices as well as how to encourage our friends and even our families to do the same first a quick message from our sponsor Struggling to find your New Year's resolution this year? Well, how about finally taking that trip of a lifetime? REI hosts over 200 adventure travel trips worldwide with local guides that bring you closer to people and places not found on the pages of travel books. So whether you dream of cycling the winding roads of Croatia, exploring the unique flora and fauna of the Galapagos Islands, trekking through the Himalayas, or a close-to-home weekend getaway, REI is there to help you live that dream. Just go to REI.com forward slash adventures. There are a variety of tools and hacks to help us disconnect more. Apple just came out with their own in the latest software update, but there's also special timers, ways to alter your phone like making your home screen only black and white or hiding your apps. I wanted to ask Danny what tools he recommends to help us spend less time in front of screens and more hours being productive, working on things that matter, and doing more of what we love with the people we love. What have you done for your own social experiments to challenge this idea of unplugging? Yeah, great question. So I am in the process of really becoming more cognizant of my surroundings. And so some psychologists call this behavioral architecture, where you change physical surroundings in order to 
become more aware of your of what you're about to do. So for example, like you said, I keep my phone out of my bedroom when I go to sleep. I know there's a certain time where I turn off and I shut down and I choose not to look at my phone. Uh, another thing that I do is I um, have certain times where I check my email. Email can become a very destructive thing when you're not cognizant of how many times you're checking it. Like if I'm in the line at, the, at a grocery store or if I'm sitting outside on a bench and I'm just like passively checking email, it's actually taking away energy from you. And so what behavioral architecture is, is that you're creating different compartments in your day to be, then be able to do work. So for me, I try not to check my email until 8.30 in the morning. I get up earlier and I spend time meditating. I spend time writing. I spend time in deep work. And then I check my email. And then I don't check it every single minute of every day. I actually create space at 11 o'clock or 1 o'clock. And I just set, spend 15 minutes really intentionally cr cranking out my emails uh, because I know that it's not a, the most important thing in my day. So the email thing is tricky because if you respond to an email, another one comes right back. Yes. I think you had this great quote from a behavior addiction specialist who mm -hmm. said something about emails are like... Zombies. Emails are like zombies. You kill one and they just keep coming back. And I think email is, is the greatest necessity and the most evil necessity that we have today because of that very fact. You just have to become mindful of how you architect your day. I think that's really, really important, right? So if there's certain people that need to get hold of you sooner, you may consider using, um, you know, text as your primary way of communicating. Or if it's not that important, say, hey, shoot me an email and you'll get back to it later. You know, we've come to a place in our culture where it's expected that you email immediately. It's tough. I, I've, a lot of guests have told me their email techniques. So one girl, Elena Nichols, she's mm -hmm. the Paralympic champion she's skier she said she just doesn't check any digital anything until 8 a.m or 9 a.m she does her day and then she checks another guy james nestor he wrote the book deep he says he checks email at 11 and 4 hmm. and a lot of times the people who email him between like early he won't respond to and by four o'clock they've figured out the answer themselves already hmm. so he doesn't need to respond to them i love it i think it's so interesting i have a little autoresponder I finally just had to create because I was getting too many emails from people mostly wanting help starting their own podcast, yeah. um, which is great. And I love feedback, but I just had to create an autoresponder with commonly asked answers to commonly asked questions. And mm. that's been really helpful because I feel anxiety if I don't respond to people. Yeah. It causes an emotional response, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. um, it feels like we're letting people down or whatnot. And that's why like behavioral architecture really is critical. I mean, just you setting up an autoresponder is huge to just your own well-being. Then you feel better. At least you're trying to help them out or you sift through it or you create a new solution for them to be able to help. Any other tricks and tips? Another technique that I use is called the Pomodoro technique. And the Pomodoro technique, it really comes from this uh, French professor and it's the idea of a, the reason why it's called a Pomodoro is because it's like a tomato timer. That's kind of silly. But the idea is you create intervals within your work where you become uber focused. And so one of the things I've bought, it's on Amazon. It's called a time cube. I have one of those. You have I one of those? I started using them. And that's so it's cool. Amazing. So basically it's a cube and you can turn it to five and it's five minutes or 45. Yeah. It's 45 minutes. Yep. Game changer. So cool. Because I used my phone before and that was distracting me because I'd like say Siri, 
set a timer for 25 minutes. And then I'd look and it like reminds me like, oh, maybe I need to check my Instagram account or something. So I keep my phone away. I use this cube timer and I just say, okay, 15 minutes email or 45 minutes or 60 minutes. I'm just going to be fully focused here. I'm not going to do anything else. And then I give myself a break. You know, I go get some food or water or take a walk or make a phone call. But I think there's an interesting dynamic when you take something that's your time, which is invisible and you turn it visible and you create space and you say, I want to do X amount of Pomodoros today. Or, um, I think that really creates that space for you to be more creative and thoughtful. Putting away your phone can help you be more productive at work, but what about with your friends or family? We all have that friend or family member, or maybe it's you that's on their phone when you meet up for dinner and it just feels, well, kind of crappy, doesn't it? Next time you're hanging out with your crew or your family, try this experiment and see what happens. One of the things I did with my friends is one night they all came over and I had them put their phones in a basket. And I do this a lot in my workshops as well when I'm working with my clients. And at first there's like some, like a visceral reaction where they are, they revolt you know, and they're like, why are you making us do this? And one night I did it with some friends. We were having dinner at my place and just, hey, hey, like, just like you're taking off your shoes at my house, can you throw your phones in here as well? Just as like an experiment. I just wanted to see what would happen. And within 30 to 40 minutes, um, all my friends started talking about it. And they were all just sharing how it's really difficult for them to disconnect. It was like, it was just a thought conversation. And people started just chatting about it and they were saying how my manager is like this or I like this or um, I can't disconnect sometimes or it's really difficult. And so I think that there's going to be smartphone etiquettes that we need to deploy in our culture where it's kind of just rude to check my phone even if I'm having a conversation with somebody because in that moment I'm saying this person that's calling me or trying to message me is more important than you in front of me. Um, And I think that's like a dangerous place we are because you are more concerned about everyone else other than the people that are right in front of you. How do you teach someone that etiquette? Like I have family members that <laughs> love you, family. Yeah. But they'll check their phone when we're talking. Yeah. Well, you can't guilt anybody or shame anyone into changing their behavior, right? Um, but I think you can model it for yourself. You know, and I think that's where like self-leadership comes in, where you become aware of your surroundings and you choose intentionally say, I'm going to keep my phone in my pocket or in my purse for the rest of dinner. And there's no need for me to check. Um, there's no need for me to break away. Um, I think that um, it's really sad. You know, you go to dinner and you look around. I, I would encourage any of your listeners that go to dinner tonight or tomorrow and go to the restaurant and just kind of look around. And I've seen groups of friends sitting together all on their phones. It's everything but being connected with the people right in front of them. I heard this cool idea the other day and people, maybe it's hipster or whatever, but people are throwing these parties and they're saying party like it's 1995. <laughs> so pre- No phones. No phones or you you can only bring your block phone or like yes. a beeper. Yes. You know, what else have you done? I know you've done some experiments in class. Mm-hmm. Can you share one or two of the experiments you've done in class to make people be aware of their digital behaviors? Yeah, one of the things I've done is I have, um, similar to what I did with my friends, I had them put their phones in their, in the middle of the room, you know, in the middle of the table. I've done that before. I've had them put it under their chairs as well. 
And then I ask like survey questions sometimes. And some of the questions that I ask is if there was one app you would delete to increase your focus, what would it be? And number one answer all the time is something social media related. Instagram. <laughs> Instagram right now. Yeah. And then other questions I ask is what is a word that you would describe, use to describe putting your phone away? And that's an interesting one because that creates like self-reflection. Like how do I really feel right now? Um, and how do I react to me putting my phone away? And the companies that I've worked for when I do this, um, oftentimes people stop bringing their phones to my workshops. It's cool. I'm sh I'm shaping their behavior. So I wonder, like, you know, maybe the new wave of our phone usage will be when we come into people's homes, we just put our phones away. And that's a reality of how we react to one another. Um, and I think it's an important thing that we can just start to prototype and experiment with. So that word that people think of, I mean, I can, yeah. I can guess because I have this image of me taking my phone a lot, yeah. throwing it into the ocean. Maybe you should try it. I mean, I'd love to, but it's kind of expensive. It's yeah, they're yeah. expensive now. <laughs> but is that word what I think it is? Yeah. So um, uh, there's a mix of words. Okay. Uh, some people say words that are negative, and then other words are like freedom, focus, attention. Mm. You know, mindfulness, presence, and those are the kinds of words we want to experience with people right in front of us, isn't it? I mean when you're fully engaged. And I think I love researching people who are best at what they do. And when you look at, you know, whether that's a pro basketball player or a surfer or whatever, they're fully focused and they're not distracted. I'm a classically trained violinist. I'm not a violinist by being distracted. Like it took me hours, hundreds and thousands of hours for me to practice to get to where I am today. I didn't have my phone with me. Like you can't do both. And so whether you want to be a writer or whether you want to be a, an athlete or whether you want to be, you know, a dancer or serve your clients in a certain specific way, like you have to be completely focused. And I think that's what is the, the key to unplugging is saying, what am I wanting to accomplish in my life? And what do I need to do to make that happen? Not just stop looking at my phone. Like that's not a good enough motivator for people. I think it's really about what's the positive intent. What's my why? So when you were talking about people who excel at what they do, mm. they have to have 100% focus. I thought back to Alex Honnold. He's the guy who free soloed El Capitan. So okay. climbed yes. to the top of Yosemite without ropes. And he actually went without a phone for a couple months leading mm. up to his climb. Really? Yeah. Just to fully focus. So he could fully focus. And so interesting that you say that. If you want to be good at something, you have to focus. Yes. I guess what, how do we do this? So we have these parameters, mm -hmm. we can set boundaries. Any other tricks and tips on what we can do to just have a better relationship with our devices? Yeah. There is an interesting thing um, that Apple has released this year, 2018, and Android has uh, as well, but it's the idea, uh, it's a new built-in iOS software where it's called Screen Time. Oh yeah, I tried this as soon as I heard you talk about Did it. Did you try it? Yeah. What'd you get? What, what's it like? Well, I set it to, so for those of you uh, listening, screen time, if you haven't turned it on, it measures the amount of time you're on your apps or on your digital devices. So I set Instagram time to 15 minutes and then every 15 minutes I'm on it, it says time's up or something yeah. like that. It warns you. And then you could say, do you want to do another 15 minutes or do you want to like 
clear it for the day because you just need it for the day. Yeah. Or just says, hey, your screen time is up. So for me, I really enjoy it yeah. because I'm like, wow, I'm really on my phone, especially Instagram, more than 15 minutes a day. Yeah. And sometimes I have to be. I think it's really interesting to know how much I'm on my phone. I think, yeah, that's the first piece is self-awareness. So yeah, that's a that's a great one. And I love that you can set it to certain apps. Yes. You do certain apps. One of the ways that I use it is at like 930 at night, it disables the majority of my apps. So I say, turn off all of my apps at 930 except for, so I have like my Calm app, which is like my meditation app. I've got a timer. Now I can always disable it. It gives me the freedom and the autonomy to be able to say, I want, I need my app because I'm traveling or I'm on a flight and I need to open my Delta app or whatever. Um, but it, it's just a good reminder because the majority of my time I can be without it. You know, is there anything for people who don't have an iPhone that they can use? Yeah, there's an Android version of that. It's an initiative that's being really considered because people are beginning to say this is not healthy for us, right? I really think that smartphone addiction and smartphone usage is going to be like the new smoking. I think there's going to be a lot more research that shows the impact of smartphone on our neurology, on our psychology. Even there's research being done right now on our physical. There's people who are getting hand and wrist pain. And because of that, they're getting texting. Um, texting. Um, they're actually backs are becoming more curved as a result. I know. Uh, or sitting up straight. Is, yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's both phones and also like laptop usage and whatnot, like bad, bad ergonomics. But I think that we are becoming more aware of the impact that technology is having. It, it's It's crazy. I mean, it's it's changing everything about us. This is so fascinating. Danny, thank you so much for sharing this. You know, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are parents, hmm. or maybe they have nieces and nephews or going to be parents. How do you handle the kid technology dilemma, you know, to give your kid an iPhone or not? I don't know the full answer to this, but I have a couple recommendations. Um, I would suggest having a low-tech home. And what I mean by that is creating space in your home because when, as soon as your kids step outside into the real world, whether that's in school or whether that's in any other context, they're going to be technology everywhere. They're going to go to a friend's house and play video games or they're going to go to school and learn how to code, which is great, all of good, fun things to do. However, I would try to limit your their usage on their phones, whether that's becoming really mindful of what kind of apps they have on their phones, if they do have a phone. What age? I don't know exactly what the appropriate age is to get a smartphone for a kid, but um, the research suggests that our kids' brains are developing still, and we need to become very cognizant of how they're developing and the negative side effects of being so connected to social media or, or other even channels like YouTube and whatnot. There's a lot of things out there that maybe our kids shouldn't be watching. Um, that's a real thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I would just become really cognizant of that. And we hopefully want to encourage our kids to become full human beings, whatever that might look like. And smartphones can absolutely get in the way of their development. Maybe you're able to cut way down on your phone usage. But one thing I wanted to be sure to ask Danny was how we can fill the time we previously spent on our phones. It's hard these days when you don't have a get-together or an outing or an activity plan or you're just bored to not jump on your phone and end up spending minutes, even hours on it, losing the time that maybe you would have liked to spend doing something more productive. 
There's one thing I didn't get a chance to talk about with Danny, but I love when people paint the words look up on the street or on a crosswalk. Too often we're looking at our phones when walking around town or even crossing the street. It's not only dangerous, but you're missing out on the things you might benefit from seeing, like trees or birds or even cool architecture when in the city. We don't all live in places where it's easy to see the night sky in its full glory, but whenever I get the chance to stare at stars, sunrises, sunsets, vistas, or open ocean views, I stare my little heart out. Not only does it just feel good, but it reminds me how much is out there beyond my own little world and my own digital device. some solutions like what should we fill Mm. our time with Mm. instead yes well i think that one thing we need to be mindful of is that we have to be okay being bored and i often like to bring in this conversation with people when we're talking about digital distraction and smartphone addiction and how it's impacting relationships for me at the end of the day there's two questions that i really want to encourage people to ask is Am I on my phone because I don't like myself or something about where I'm at in life? Or am I on my phone because I don't like my relationships that I'm in right now? And that's like a deeper human question. It's like more of a philosophical question, right? Where am I on my phone because I just am not satisfied with what I have, right? If I got some bad feedback from my boss or... Um, if I'm not as accomplished as I want to be. And the phone becomes an easy way for us to just numb out. And um, and so, and then the other part of it is, am I not okay with my relationships? So I'm like your friend that's trying to post photos of myself to just get some more likes because my self-esteem is so low. Or I'd rather not talk to you right now. So I'm gonna talk to somebody else and find somebody else to find my, to fill that void and to fill my, my, own sense of humanity. Um, And so one of the things that I encourage people is be okay with being bored. And that means take some time to take a walk, leave your phone in your car, leave your phone in your office desk, spend some time breathing, you know, spend some time reading, spend some time. If you work in an office, go find a person to go get lunch with and leave your phone completely away and say, I'm completely focused to this person for the next 60 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever that is. And that my gift to them is my presence. I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, And then the other thing is just become more mindful of your technology use, not in the sense of how do I say no to it, but how do I say yes to it? And what are the right ways to say yes to it? So that might be setting up parameters within um, how you do your work. You know, are you being distracted as you work or are you making sure your notifications are turned off? You know, I think um, that's a big thing too, is turning off notifications on our phones, right? Both the buzzing and the screen when you have um, the little notification that pops up is like, oh, you got a reminder or whatever. I just have all my all my notifications are off. I basically have no notifications. Mom, are you listening? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think it's really important because it, it takes away, like if you think about, I mean, going back to the example of your, you know, the pro athletes, every time you're distracted, you're not able to focus on what your intention is. And so if that even means I'm like fully, fo- let's say I'm like in this podcast and I was getting all these notifications on my phone or my laptop, I wouldn't be fully here. 
It'd be really difficult to do this be. podcast interview. Yeah. So, so you have this background as well, you know, besides studying theology and organizational behavior, you're an outdoors guy. I love outdoors. Yeah. Why is getting outside one of the best solutions? Yeah, that's great. We, um, uh, a couple of years ago when I was working at another company, we had the subdivision of our consulting firm where we would take people on the road. A couple places we've been to is Patagonia, um, doing an eight-day trek on the W, to Machu Picchu. Um, we did the Selkantai Trail. So you led these hiking we, expeditions. Yes. So what we would do is we'd partner with these expedition guides, and we would be the leadership gurus, right? So we were their their leadership ser- sherpas, and we would walk alongside them and ask questions about you know identity and strengths, and because it's in nature, you really get challenged, right? And it's in nature you don't have your phone. Interestingly enough, you don't have anyone to, you don't have your phone as a security blanket, nor do you have a phone to distract yourself. And so in these moments and these beautiful landscapes, all you can do is say, wow, like I'm here, I'm small. And this is an amazing feat, whether that's you're in Machu Picchu and you're looking at at the amazing architecture, or you're looking at Torres del Paine and you're looking up and you see these towers and you're like, how did this get here? I think that there's an opportunity where you are fully present and there's something amazing when you can disconnect. And I think the reason why travel is so important or being outdoors like that, especially in a place where there's no Wi-Fi or cell service, you can tell people, hey, I'm going to be disconnected. I've got my autoresponders on my email. You can let people know that you're gone, that you're trekking somewhere, and then you don't feel guilty about it. You make the plans that you need to, to be outside. Um, But I would even recommend people that don't have 10, 14 days to do something crazy like that, do a weekend trip, take a Saturday, you know, disconnect, turn your phone onto airplane mode, you know, and really begin to reorient yourself so that you can be fully charged when you're back on Monday. One of the things I, I talk about a lot is turn your digital device into development tool. What I mean by that is on my phone, I have a meditation app. And it's interesting because I use my app on my phone in the mornings, throw some headphones in, and I use my app to track my meditation, you know. Is it Headspace? Yeah, I've used Headspace before. I use Calm. And it's a very similar idea. But the interesting thing is I'm using my phone as a meditation tool. And it's like ironic because I'm like I'm trying to disconnect from my phone, but actually I'm using it. And so I turn off everything else and make sure I have some space to use that. And I think that's huge. Like don't get a divorce with your phone. You just need to become more smart. And every single time it's an app says, do you want us to give you notifications? Say no. Like don't allow until you absolutely need to. You don't need it all the time. And I think there's an interesting phrase, you know, in our English lexicon called FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. And recently um, people have been coming out with JOMO, right? The joy of missing out. And really the idea is we can become okay with not being everywhere. And can we become okay with ourselves? Can we become okay with our friends? Can we become okay with our life circumstances? Can we become okay with the space that we're in right here, right now? Because when we do, I think that's the key to deeper, meaningful relationships. That's the key to creativity. That's the key to authentic community. Um, That's the key to becoming more tuned to your own emotions and your own feelings and your own fears. Right in those moments where you're you're saying I'm okay with where I'm at, and Jomo invites us to that. Right, it takes the the very thing, the fear of missing out, which is what social media can cause. Right, when we're fully quote unquote plugged in, and Jomo says, 
I want to unplug purposefully. I want to be away from my devices. I want to be away from the things that are distracting me in the moment and to be fully present. So I do that all the time in my own work. I've got some stressful days, you know, client meetings, or I've got emails to write or projects I need to work on. Within every 45 minutes or so, I disconnect and I um, actually create space for me to just breathe. I take a quick walk around my block or wherever I'm at and I just try to breathe. And it's an amazing, it just resets my intention. Danny, first of all, thank you. This was amazing. Where can people find out more about you and your work and what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is dannykim with two M's dot com. And um, I'm on Instagram, Danny Kim with two M's uh, on Twitter as well. And I'm on LinkedIn professionally. Um, the company I work for is called Centauric and we're here in San Diego, but we travel all around the world. And you can check them out as well if you're interested. Centauric is C-E-N-T-A-U-R-I-C. And Danny's last name is actually spelled K-I-M, but on all social media accounts and his website, it's K-I-M-M dot com. Danny, thank you so much. Absolutely. Many of us are looking to improve ourselves, especially in the new year. Hopefully this episode gave you inspiration to get off your phone, get outside, and look up and out. If you like this show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this show. And be sure to check out the previous episodes like episode one of this season, where we talk to a lawyer turned mindfulness coach who's helping kids transform how they approach their schoolwork and helping them set records using mindfulness and open ocean swimming. If you're at all interested in mindfulness, this is a great episode. Thanks again to Danny Kim. Thank you to REI for helping us get outside, explore, and unplug in nature more often. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're having a beautiful day. And I also hope you remember some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. Tune in the week after next, write a review, and if you can, go ahead and unplug. Thank you.